Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm extremely excited to have the co-creators of Second Act Snacks, Matthew Mucher and Taylor Oki. Okay? Oki. Nice. Nailed it. <laughs> On the line today. Gentlemen, how you doing? Doing good, man. How are you? I'm great. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you. It's a little... It, we're in New York right now. It's a little warmer than I would like. Uh, I was just saying, I just I just walked home like super speed and my body is drenched in sweat. <laughs> and, uh, I not, feel not, disgusting. Obviously, this being an audio yeah. podcast, uh, not the best place to talk about this, but you are wearing a sweatshirt, so... Uh, yes. Well, okay. I ran out. I ran out like ten seconds ago to grab my my second coffee for the day, and I have my AC on blast. And I'm underneath this is a tank top, and I wasn't because we are doing a Zoom ish style. I was like, I don't know this guy, and he doesn't need to see me in a tank top just yet. <laughs> and I knew eventually I'd get cold, so here we are. <laughs> totally fair. Um, if you guys can just individually introduce yourselves, obviously you are the co-creators of Second Act Snacks, um, but Matt, why don't you start with yourself? Sure. Yeah. Um, my name is Matthew Mucha. I'm a, an actor in addition to a co-creator, co-host of Second Act Snacks. I'm also the social media and audience engagement manager for the Broadway Podcast Network. Uh, I live in New York. And I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. Yeah, and um, I'm Taylor Oki, also an actor, as well as the co-host and co-creator of Second Act Snacks. Um, also currently in New York City after um, just recently coming back to New York. I moved back to New York about six weeks ago. Um, I hadn't been back since before Mooch and I were on bandstand. Um, wow. I did not I did not spend the pandemic in New York. I was all over the place. So I'm just recently back to New York and I'm happy to be here. What a, what a good decision on your part. <laughs> Flee the pandemic. That was, that was a great idea. Yeah, I, 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 I did not was, do. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I was, it was a whirlwind of a, of a year and a half, but I, it feels really, really good to be back. It, it's, it's really nice to see the city again. Yeah, and I feel I was uh, I was out in the Upper East Side on Friday having some dinner and drinks with some friends, and it was pretty packed. And I and I stupidly said that it felt like normal. At which point, a homeless person reached over to our table and grabbed the bread basket, and I was like, "Yeah, it is completely normal again. Things are completely oh, back to normal again." <laughs> that is that is the most normal that you could reach. Qu- yeah. qu- quintessential New York. Um, <laughs> The whirlwind year that it was um, has obviously given you guys a lot of time to kind of do your own projects and work on your own things, and I would imagine that fed nicely into the creation of Second Act Snacks. So if you can, tell me a little bit about the show. Uh, tell me a little bit about what went into creating the show and kind of how you guys got started. Yeah. Uh, Mooch, I'll start with the origin story if you want to pick up um, the 2.0 origin story. Excellent. Um, so the Second Act Snacks as it is, was not how it began. It actually started um, while Mooch and I were on the first national tour of Bandstand, which for those of you who don't know, Bandstand is a Tony Award-winning Broadway musical. Um, It opened in 2016, Mooch, is that correct? Uh, uh, 16 or 17, same same season as Evan Hansen and- I'm from away. I think it was 16, um, don't fact check me on that. Uh, originally directed on Broadway by um, Andy Blankenbuehler, who is best known for his work as the choreographer and uh, one of the creators behind Hamilton. Oh. Um, 
And so we were on the first national tour of that. And we had not known each other before this. We met day one of rehearsals. Um, our tracks on and musical aligned pretty, pretty similarly, almost exact. So when I was almost on, identical, it was on stage. There was only once or twice where you were on stage and I wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so we hit it off right away in rehearsals because a lot of the times when the ensemble was working, he and I would just be chilling. Um, we were both understudies, so we were running lines together and stuff. Um, and we were in tech in Texas, in te Oklahoma, excuse me. We were in tech in Oklahoma for about two weeks. And that's kind of when things line up and you figure out, okay, so during this section, I'm going to have a bigger break. I have no time here. And for me, that means I'm figuring out when in the show am I going to have a chance to go to my dressing room and eat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my biggest things that I was most excited about once I got this job was that I was going to get to travel the country and eat everywhere I went. So I was looking forward to hitting that barbecue, trying avocado toast of every flavor <laughs> in California. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so excited to, to get to have that opportunity. And so we were, Mooch and I were in the dressing room during tech. We had, we were on a break and it kind of popped into my head. And I said, dude, you know what we should do? We have this break in act two for like 20, 25 minutes where we do not have anything to do. We don't have a costume change. There's nothing going on. We should like find food from every stop, bring it into the dressing room, eat it, throw it on our Instagrams and just like talk about it and rate it. It was meant to be nothing more than something to fill the time. Cause in that 20 minutes, you really can't do anything. I remember he said, yeah, all I'm going to be doing is playing my switch. Like you yeah. can't yeah. do a lot in 20 minutes. And so that's where the idea was born. And I said to him, I think we should call it like second act snacks. And he was like, I love it. Yes. So like, that's it. That's yeah. so pragmatic. Yeah. I love that. Yes. <laughs> And I love a I, I love a good alliteration. So the second act snacks, it just rolls right off the tongue. And it was the first iteration of it was born on opening night of Bandstand in College Station, Texas. Where Which you can still yeah. see because uh -huh. I I did an Instagram takeover for Bandstand's account on opening and they saved it as a highlight. So if you go to their page, scrub through like the billion videos, you'll see the first ever Second Act Snacks video from Oklahoma City. And I, I love that that still lives there. Uh, it's, so, it's so funny to look at such it and be like, We're so young. But oh, the, yeah. funny thing is, the funny thing is that snack we found <laughs> literally, I think, an hour before, half hour. So an hour before we had to be at the theater. And we were in like the college coffee shop. And I was like, <laughs> we have to find something. And so we were fishing through and we found these plantain chips. And on the back, it said made in Texas. And I was like, done, let's go. And yep. That was it. And from there on out, it just it carried through the entire tour, every stop. Um, it took off so much faster and in such a different way than he and I ever expected. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, one of our friends while we were working on the show was like, at what point did you realize that this was like people like recognize you for this? Yeah. And I told her, I said, we walked out of um, the National Theater in Washington, D.C., and we were doing the stage door and we had just done a three hour musical where we were our characters and everything. And I walked out to do the stage door and I was signing playbills. And this girl says to me, do you know when the snack guys are going to be out? <laughs> we made it. And, I, and literally I texted him immediately because he had left before me. And I said, dude, 
I think we did it. We That's did it. so we awesome. Are better known. We are better known for this than anything we do in the show. I'm like, you just saw me on there for three hours. They're like, hold on, your your four minute Instagram story. That's where I remember you. That's so awesome. But like, yeah. But like fans That's of the show hard. started bringing us snacks from you know we we would be in Michigan and a fan of the show would be like, hey, we're you're coming to Michigan. I'm gonna bring you guys these chips from um, this small store in Michigan. I want you guys to try them. And it became like this super interactive things with fans of Bandstand who inadvertently became fans of us and the second and second act snacks. And it just it became this awesome thing. And we had these huge plans. We had just released our very first merch with, we had mugs made and we had this huge like release because we had, we had a solid three months left of the tour. We had, like, yeah. we were contracted through June and we had, a good amount of time and so we were we were planning on taking over the world and then plans change hmm. yeah and that plan and being the big c yes the big c <laughs> the big c she, yeah. she she who will not be named yeah, right. yeah. i just had time. uh yeah, that. i just had a friend of mine sienna on the podcast earlier today and she is referring to it as bc so before covid and i was like that's fucking perfect wow. that's oh. excellent it's like that's shit true. why didn't i come up with that i'm feeling that i'm feeling that I am absolutely BC and then AV after vaccination. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Which, which Taylor perfectly le- leads us into what it is now. Cause we got, we got the notice uh, that, you know, March 13th, I think it was, we had like a big company meeting. Our production manager said, you know, we're sending everybody home for like two weeks. We'll meet you. You know, you'll fly out to Vegas in the end of April or end of March, whatever it was. Time went on. We eventually got the call that the tour wasn't going to go back out. And Taylor and I are both so similar in that we're just, we, we thrive when we're consistently working on something or creating something. And that's where I lend a lot of the success to is that we both are, you know, we, we, we don't stop, which is a good thing and a bad thing sometimes. And when COVID first started, we thought it was going to be, you know, a quick couple of months and then we'll be back to auditioning or whatever. So we had like a 2.0 version, which was we were interviewing people in our industry um, fellow actors, choreographers, writers, whatever, and just asking them, like, you know, what are you doing during this time? What are you snacking on while you're at home? You know, trying to keep it all together. And we did that for a bit. We put it on our Instagram and it was fine. And then the summer of 20, of, uh, right? 2020? Yeah. Of yeah. 2020 came and it kind of died down. And I'll, and it's so weird. I have like such a vivid memory of this. I was with my girlfriend, Jamie, and we were in the car leaving her family's lake house in the Adirondacks. And I was just sitting with her, and I was like, "There's still I was like, there's something here, and I and it'd be and it would be wrong to not explore it while we all have this time and we're sitting at home. It's like I played 300 hours of Animal Crossing on my Switch. <laughs> like I have to do, I like fuck me, I have to do something a little bit more important than this. I got, so I had planted a garden for the first time. It was done. I had harvested it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. We on. both had like our suburban lives, and you're like, let's get back. So so Taylor and I and Jamie who. My girlfriend is, is a super genius, has a business degree in addition to being an actor, and and she had a lot of ideas. So the three of us kind of sat down and just spitballed what we could do in new iterations, and we came up with the idea that it is now, which Second Act Snacks explores the foods mentioned in Broadway musicals, and then our job is to find the real-life version of it. Mm-hmm. So if you're familiar with, like, you know, Binging with Babish on YouTube, he recreates food found in movies and TV shows, but he cooks it. You know, Guy Fieri, Diners, Drivings, and Dives, all of that kind of stuff, but giving it 
this Broadway twist. So we sat there for the beginning of uh, the second half of 2020 and, you know, what shows are accessible? What could we do during a pandemic that we could travel somewhere? And we decided that, you know, we're all in New York. Let's do only New York City. We'll exclusively eat outside. We will do as COVID safe as possible, masks on at all times, testing everything. And we worked with a few of our friends from our tour that helped us with wardrobe and helped us shoot and edit it. And our first season happened and we premiered it January of 2021 um, on Instagram, on YouTube. And we kind of, you know, we're just in the mindset of like, this is something that we would love to see succeed for the long run. I don't know where it'll take us, how long it'll take us. And in February of this year, after our, was it our second episode, Taylor? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was after our second episode dropped on Instagram and YouTube. We got an email from a associate of somebody at a new Broadway streaming service. And they just said, hey, we found your show. We would love to talk. And since then, am I allowed to say this? Yeah. Um, I mean, or I, I won't name names. I'll, well, I'll, I'll just throw names. We know that there, we know that people know that future things are happening. So yes. So so we with with them, we're now able to create a second season. We were able to travel more because of, you know, vaccines and us restaurants being more open. So now it's just become like our whole lives and, and Jamie is on as our producer. Taylor is still editing. I'm writing. Um, we get to explore outside of New York for season two, which we're excited about. And yeah, it's, it's become so much bigger, so much quicker, but it's been a blast. And like you said, you know, having the time during COVID, I think was weirdly a blessing in disguise because we were able to focus on it so heavily. That's so fucking awesome. I mean, I think a lot of people either took the, 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 you know, the shutdown of the pandemic one of two ways. They either leaned into it and like developed new skills or new hobbies or new passions, or they just kind of turtle shelled and like, you know, didn't make it through as in like a better yeah. position. Thankfully, most people that I know have, you know, come out of what's been an otherwise shit year, year and a half. Yeah. Uh, in a much better place. Um, talk to me creatively how the show kind of impacts like your creative muscles. Like I would imagine, you know, like you mentioned being on stage for three hours flexes a significantly different amount of creative muscles versus the show. Um, do you get kind of the same fulfillment out of doing the show as you do as performing on stage? Is it a different kind of high? Like kind of talk to me, you know, between the creative differences. Sure. Taylor, I'll do writing and then you want to talk. The yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so we've kind of divvied up our roles aside from co-creator, co-host. Um, I write the scripts of the episodes and do some location scouting. So for season one, you know, we knew we were going to do Newsies. In Newsies, they talk about eating a pastrami on rye. So then my brain goes, all right, I'm thinking about, you know, Newsies takes place in Manhattan, especially down on like the Lower East Side. Katz's Deli is there. Katz's Deli oh, is man. known for the pastrami. You know, it just connects itself. So like Taylor said, us, us both being massive foodies, it, it scratches that itch of being excited to like eat something that looks really fucking good. And also I've always liked to write. So it allows me to flex that muscle, which I don't get to as much as an actor. And then it's, it's funny, but you know, when we do the show and when we, you know, shot the first and second season, we're like, we're acting because we're on camera, which acting on camera is super different from stage acting just because it's a lot smaller but like when we're doing a show like bandstand you know we're we're singing dancing and acting for three hours as characters whereas for this like 
it's Taylor and me being ourselves. There's a script, which if one of us says a line wrong, I wrote it. So I don't really give a shit. So it's fine. <laughs> I'm like, I, they, there were days where Taylor's like, what was that line? I was like, you could say whatever you want. As long as it's coherent, we're fine. Yeah. And we're good to go. And it, and it's been flexing, I'd say a, a different muscle that I think a lot of people, a lot of actors get when they work on set for film is, you know, with theater, it's, it's live, you know, you do it a million times um, every single night. Whereas with film, you know, we would shoot an episode a day and then I, forget about the script and everything that happened. Whereas as an actor, you know, we're living with the bandstand choreography for nine months straight, Mm -hmm. which is a whole different thing. So it's a lot quicker, I'd say, when we were like shooting on film. Um, But it also gives us, you know, on-camera experience that we got to create our own work. And now I feel more comfortable sending in for like commercial stuff because I'm like, oh, I've I've worked behind the camera a little bit. Not, Not as a character, but as a, you know, heightened version of myself doing something similar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, to, to bounce off of what you're saying, Mooch, I think in the show, I, it was funny. I, I listened to an interview, Whoopi Goldberg um, gave where she, she's now, you know, she's a multi award winning actor, but she hosts the view. She's a co-host of the view. And she said, I play a character on the view. She's hmm. like, I'm acting the view. I'm playing a version of myself. And on, I would say that about both of us. Like we are definitely still playing ourselves, but it's like a character caricature ish mm-hmm. version of ourselves. Um, it's just as like broadened. So we do, I definitely still get the itch. I, I definitely scratch the itch of, as an actor um, in that sense. Um, so Mooch does a lot of the post-production stuff taking care of, you know, like he said, organizing where we're going, um, the, the food we're eating. Uh, quite frankly, like we have a, a running list of the musicals that we, you know, we'll think of a musical and then you'll hear a food and be like, oh yeah, this is perfect. But then he's the one who decides, yeah, we're gonna do this episode in this musical and we're going to this restaurant. Um, so he takes care of a lot of the uh, pre-production stuff and everything in post is on me. So I take care of all of the editing, um, any additional sound effects, music, all of the graphics that are added that is um, designed by me. And for me, I, what I love about just being an artist in general is creating something from nothing just taking a blank space, a blank piece of paper and making something happen. And so for me as an actor, I get that when I, t- you know, I'm given a character, even if the character has lived in a world um, prior to me joining the show, um, to me, I that's where I scratch my creative itch as an actor. And so for this, it's a very similar feeling <clears throat> that we have literally created this baby that did not exist beforehand. Um, I've always wanted to get into um, the production side of things and producing content like this. And so truly this was something that I always hoped happened, but I never knew how it would happen. Um, and I've said this a lot, you know, the pandemic, while it has taken away so much and has been, you know, tragic and traumatic for all of us, I do think there will come to a point, And I think we're seeing this already where you're going to hear stories like ours, where people say, because of the pandemic, this X, Y, and Z happened to me and it changed my life. Absolutely. And I truly, yeah, I truly, you know, Mooch and I started a business with his girlfriend, Jamie, like the three of us literally started a business because of what happened to us. And I I don't think it would have happened, or at least it would not have happened in the way it did if it were not for um, 
you know, this pandemic that came into our lives. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's the, you know, making lemonade out of lemons kind of uh, Mm -hmm. euphemism. I mean, I wouldn't be having this podcast with you guys today if it wasn't for the pandemic. I wouldn't have fallen, you know, re-fallen in love with photography had it not been for the pandemic. I think, you know, harken back to, you know, what I said previously, like you either took the the, the trauma of the last year and did one of two things with it. You either thrived or, you know, barely made it through. And uh, it's yeah. it's inspirational when I get t- the opportunity to talk with people who also have, have come such a long way um, through what's obviously been a, a shitty situation, <laughs> for sure. I will say, I will add to that, though. I definitely did a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, the turtle shelling, I did binge yeah, drink I for spent, the first, like, month or two. Yeah, I spent, a so- I would say, a solid, you know, from March until... Uh, at least June, if not mid-July, like turtle shelling. <laughs> my um, my pandemic was sponsored by White Claws and people. <laughs> <laughs> so there was definitely, I definitely dipped in, dipped my toes into both realms. That's fair. And just, I'm just ending on a more positive, uplifting. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And that's what yeah. we're going to yeah. choose to focus on. <laughs> exactly. Not the, exactly. Not the 900 White Claws we're going to focus on. Second if, White, if, if White Claw is listening to this, if White Claw is listening to this and still wants to sponsor me, I'm happy to oblige. The, the Wrong Advice Podcast that's brought great. to you by White Claw. Pack <laughs> three. Pack three. Pack three. <laughs> I love that. Um, I've uh, fallen into a creative career kind of later in life. I didn't you know, truly embrace my love for the creative arts until the last, you know, call it four or five years and and really doubling down into it since the pandemic started. But I would assume that you guys had extremely creative lives, you know, being in plays and and musicals and acting, you know, from childhood on. Um, So talk to me a little bit about the creative process, you know, just on an individual basis. Um, Talk to me about the growth that you've seen in yourself from, you know, what might have been your first play in third or fourth grade all the way up until obviously... A, a tremendous success like going on tour with a, a very well-known show like bandstand yeah uh yeah. do you want to go for it mooch Take sure it mm. yeah so i come from a family of football people my dad's a football coach played football my brother works for the giants a uh, big athletic family as a kid i tried them all never stuck was not just was not for me and in um, the fifth grade, I think, my music teacher, Mrs. Ruffman, <laughs> asked me to sing A Whole New World uh, at our graduation. And I sang it like the mic was in my was in my hand as close as possible. My head was down. I was like, you know, pissing my pants. And that was like my first little inkling of something. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then in eighth grade at my middle school, my friends and I thought it'd be funny as a joke to audition for the musical. And like, if we're in it, that'll be fun. And we'll just like mess around and whatever. So my middle school is doing a production of Aladdin and my best friend got Aladdin and I was the genie nice. and they paint, they, yeah, it was, Oh God, I'll show you some pictures. They're brutal. <laughs> they, they painted me in blue latex paint, which my mother had to, which my mother literally had to carve off of my skin. I don't know who decided that was the option for a you know, fat 12 year old, but whatever it was. Um, and I, I just so vividly remember like while doing that show, like I could tell there were other people that liked what we were doing and like enjoyed rehearsal. But I would like sit with my director and be like, I want to talk about like, you know, what my character's feeling here. And like, like what, how, how did you guys make that happen? And it just sparked something in me that I hadn't felt before. And then I was lucky enough to go to a high school that had a really strong 
musical theater and straight acting department. So we had the masks, which did a, a Shakespeare in the fall and then a play in the spring. And then our musical department did a big musical every spring. And it allowed me to really flex those muscles and see where I wanted to end up. And I just feel super grateful because I know there are a lot of other um, high schools, middle schools that the arts aren't as funded or aren't as supported. And definitely, I don't think I'd be where I am now without that foundation that I had, Mm -hmm. um, which led me to uh, go to Marymount Manhattan College. I graduated in 2018 with my BFA in acting and musical theater. And since then, I've I've done some regional stuff, toured and, and everything. And it's just been a really cool experience to have found my thing, knowing that as a kid, I was like, oh, I see what my you know, what my brother loves to do. And, and I, and I get that. And as like a little brother, I was like, Oh, I also want to like, may, like maybe my thing will also be football. And then I try and I'm like, I'm awful at this. And I don't give a shit about anything about it. <laughs> I like to watch football, but I'm like, I don't need to get thrown on a field. That's not fun. Yeah. I was like, however, put me in tights and dance shoes. <laughs> I'm having a ball. So let's yeah. go. And, and it was just, it was cool seeing it click. And now, you know, like my family are, are like the biggest theater fans and like my brother gets jacked up when I get a job or like my dad I'll never forget we watched like company on Netflix once like the live version and he was like that was awesome yeah. I was like hell yeah I was like fuck your Super Bowl you have Netflix <laughs> pro shots this is excellent this is sick but yeah it's just it's been cool to like find myself and feel settled in it and you know grateful to be able to make a career out of it and in, in, in a living that's awesome how about you Tyler yeah um, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a few years older than Mooch. Um, and by a few, I mean I, uh, six, seven years older than you. Oh, that's I think. Mooch is 14 years old, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Philip. Yeah. Um, you just turned 21. <laughs> exactly. Oh, listen, whenever I can't figure out how to hook my Instagram up to something, I say, Mooch, I call yeah, him. I help um, Great. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so my, um, my journey up to this point has kind of been a roundabout way, actually. So, um, sim- very similar to Mooch, I grew up uh, in a house of um, one of four boys. Um, I had a very athletic father. I have very athletic brothers. Um, I attempted everything and was never good at anything. Um, I was kind of good at swimming, so I did stick with swimming, but my hand-eye coordination is quite um, quite poor. <laughs> so um, I swam from about sixth grade um, through high school and that was kind of my thing i started singing like any good boy from indiana i started singing really young in church of course in church and um my parents were involved in like the worship team at the time and so they had got me into voice and piano lessons pretty young like five or six years old and i continued that up until up until high school and then I was like, okay, screw this. I'm getting into high school. I'm going to quit singing and I'm done. That was fun. I'm going to just swim and just be in high school and really focus on my studies. Mm -hmm. So for the first, um, you know, two years of high school, I I was done. I didn't really sing. I didn't do anything. And I was, you know, put myself on the path. I was going to go into medicine. I was going to, you know, take a legit, legit stand in my life. And um, my junior year, we had a new uh, choir director come into the high school and she goes and she ha- she knew me from when I was a kid and she knew I was no longer singing. And she said, yeah, that was cute. You're in choir now. And so and then that exact same year, um, I was in a mu- high school musical, to be exact, um, which was the first musical I had done since I was like 12. So there's a big gap where I just stopped all of this. And so in that same year, I 
found my love for singing again. I found my love for music again. And I thank God for that teacher because, you know, she, I, I see her, she comes to see every show that I'm in. Um, she came to all bandstand. And every time I see her, I'm like, this is your fault. Like, <laughs> this is 100% your fault. Um, but I didn't go. But when I finished high school, I attended uh, Elmhurst University starting nursing and pre-med. I put, I was like, okay, that was fun, but it's never going to be my career. Coming from a small town, you don't think, you know, I feel like Mooch being on the East coast, being, having a really strong theater program, being so close to New York, like yeah. it's, it's a viable career in mm-hmm. Indiana. It seems, it seems more yeah. like, oh, I could get there by train. So why, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yes. In Indiana, it's, it is not, that is not an option. And so, um, I went to Elmhurst University, was starting pre-med, ended up switching music ed um, about halfway through and graduated with a BM in music education um, and taught four years in Chicago as a teacher. And I was dipping into the theater scene in Chicago for while I was doing that. So I was juggling both worlds. And I was, it got to a point, I, I like 2015, where I was so burnt out from teaching. It was just, it was really, really detrimental. Um, it was just not what I wanted it to be, not the career I thought it was going to be. And I was so happy when I was in the rehearsal space and when I was auditioning, when I got the chance. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to put the eggs in the basket. I'm going to do what I didn't have the balls to do when I was 18. Um, looked up MFA programs and auditioned for one program at the Boston Conservatory um, that had a MFA in acting with a really strong emphasis in musical theater and got in quit teaching and spent two and a half years um, in Boston and that I graduated in 2018, did a quick gig, a quick summer stock gig, and then moved to New York in the fall of 2018. And uh, 10 months later, you know, bandstand came into my life. So I, I, I often joke, like I ran away from this. I ran away from this career so many times and call it God, call it faith, call it the universe, call it what have you. I end up finding my way back in in some some capacity. So you know, right now the pandemic took it away from me, but I can't help but <laughs> feel like in some capacity I'm going to find my way back on stage. Um, but yeah, so it was a roundabout way. I, I keep trying to get away from it. <laughs> Every time I get out, it brings me back in. It exactly. Me back in. <laughs> exactly. I love that. That's pretty awesome. It's 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 very unique to see how you guys had like very similar yet different paths to inevitably like the same place. That's kind of cool. Um, my relatability to that is that I played high school football and lacrosse, but I was also in the choir. So I know that makes me better than both of you at singing and exactly. sports. <laughs> so no, no, no pressure. I, uh, no, I sang the national right. anthem for the yeah, Yankees. Like the Troy whole Bolton. Troy Bolton. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, are no the real life deal. Troy Bolton. Man, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Zach Efron, High School Musical. Oh, okay, oh my yeah. God. Sorry, Stop never, this podcast yeah. now. Sorry, <laughs> never <laughs> saw it. <laughs> musical one, two, and three. Come on. Yeah. I know I'm a big Vanessa okay. Hudgens fan, so you, you figured I'd have seen it, but I haven't. Well, there you go. Um, right. have, have a movie night. <laughs> I uh, I was recently speaking with a comic uh, on my podcast about the rush that he gets. Uh, doing live comedy. He also has a podcast and he does acting and he's, you know, worked in film and obviously all of it kind of funnels back to the high that he receives from a live show. So you guys have the, the, the benefit of being able to do shows and in front of live audiences, you know, BC and, and after 
vex as <laughs> as matt said um and then also you're you know flexing creative muscles um doing second x next which if you had to choose do you get more of like a, a, a you know like a life boner so to speak from second x next or or from getting like that visceral uh reaction from the crowd if you had to choose one they're just it's such a different they're just so different it's hard to compare um i will say there is absolutely nothing like being on stage and hearing the audience react Mm -hmm. and feeling their energy with you it's just it's it's so cliche and you hear every stage actor say this, but there's just such a difference from experiencing and going on a journey through a show with a thousand, a hundred, ten people in the audience, feeling that energy. Like we're we're human beings and we are made to experience things together. Mm-hmm. And so and like Mooch and I, we're both goons, we're both idiots. Like we are comedic we're comedic actors and we feed off of like hearing a response. And so I will say like filming second act snacks, we are still very much idiots and still very much goons, but it's hard to like, you know, we'll do a joke, we'll do a bit. And like, there's really no way to know if the bit landed right. until there's the media will give us like a pity exactly. laugh. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Will be like, ah. there, there was, there was sometimes, um, our DP Gab, um, like we would do a joke or we would say something. And if I would see her smirk inside of like, okay, okay, no, it's funny. We're funny. We're funny. <laughs> yeah. We got this. Um, but yeah, they're just different media. It's so hard to compare the two to one another. Well, it's the immediacy yeah. of the reaction, right? You're putting something out yeah. online and it's based on views and, you know, thumbs up and all that bullshit. Yeah. Um, so the immediacy is obviously different, but you know, they are in essence giving you similar fulfillment, which, right. which is cool. Yeah. 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 I like, I, I feel like with the, with the live stuff too, like I, I thrive when something goes horribly wrong during yes. the show. Like, yeah. That's like surprising. If someone like like if somebody drops like there was a moment in bandstand. I don't know if it was a shoe or a cup or something, but like during a massive dance number where Taylor and I are kind of like on the outside, like doing our own thing. I remember like somebody dropped something, and then instantly it's like you and the twenty other people are singing the right notes, the right words, dancing the right steps. You know, still acting, but your brain in another world is like, okay, who's gonna get tough? Who's <laughs> who's? And then when you see someone, you're like hell yeah they they were on it they knew what's up and there's something about the fact that that's always different and that it's you know you do the same show but especially when we were on tour for so long there would be some days where you know we're exhausted so we'd be like you know what today i'm gonna feel you know i'm gonna give this line a little bit different today or i'm gonna do something like this and being able to change it up even just like within our own company was was fun um but i i will say the i'm seeing more and more a it's not the same feeling but it's a similar type thing with like social media and online it's like you can drop you know like this morning the the west side story trailer another one got dropped and that drops and then you see social media blow up so quickly and so viscerally where it's almost the same thing as like an audience reacting in real time Mm -hmm. because you have the ability to see it on every platform people can you know like you said give it a thumbs up give it a view which isn't the same, but the immediacy feels similar. But like Taylor said, there's there's just such a connection and an amazing feeling like when the energy is on and when everyone on stage is like doing their thing to the highest caliber, they're at a hundred, everyone's working together on stage and off. 
there's there, there's just something different about it's that. like the sports analogy you guys are very much a team kind of working towards the same goal it's that's cool totally my uh i did watch the heights in the heights twice on hbo max oh, fucking loved it it was amazing um awesome. I, i'm not a huge theater guy i'm six one i'm 230 pounds Every New York City theater is not made for men of my size. The last show nope. I saw was Springsteen on Broadway. And while it was incredible, and I love going to shows. I think they're just wonderful and, and by worth all the money in the world to go see them. Because what those you know you guys do on stage is tremendous. I just can't get comfortable. I was like, it doesn't matter how many bourbons or wines I have in the theater. I'm just like, okay, this is two and a half more hours. It's like miserable. Yeah. You can't yeah. tell, but I, I'm six foot four. Oh, Jesus. Trust me. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, Taylor's nothing more. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm not in the audience because I'm, yeah, I'm on stage because I can't be in the audience. Yeah. Don't fit. That's the only thing that like, sh- you know, pushes me away from going to more shows because I know I'm just going to be entirely too uncomfortable for, you know, close yeah. to three hours. <laughs> that's true. My mom always gets an aisle seat. Yeah, I, I do and, too. And, and I, I do yeah. too, but it's only good for one of your two legs. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. The entire show, you're just consistently moving one I leg do. over to the yeah, side. That's exactly, <laughs> you're exactly correct. Um, creative careers are difficult, right? Because without the proper support system around you, without people who are rooting you on, friends, family, significant others, etc., it could be like very quiet, right? It can be uh, kind of difficult to chase a dream when you don't have people rooting you on. Um, talk to me a little bit about the support systems that you guys had growing up and then even now as you kind of grow into your uh, second stage of Second Act Snacks, but talk to me about like people who have supported you growing up throughout your your creative endeavors. Yeah. Um, I feel... You go, you you take it, you take it first. Like I, like I said, like uh, growing up in a family that wasn't theatrical immediately was I wouldn't say it was hard it was just like finding my footing and being like oh all right like this is this is cool like this is fine but I'm gonna do it um consistently having support from my parents my brother especially my mom's mom my grandma who passed last July was where I where I must get it from because she was just like love theater a singer a dancer she'll tell you a thousand times how how great she was about everything she would write yiddish versions of of already existing like fairy tales and then put them on in like a community center and she was the person who i like if i mentioned something she'd be she she would already be keyed in and she would like have the conversation with me and like you said it's a it can be a lonely career because with with other jobs, there's, you know, more or less like a ladder system. You know, you can, you can, mm-hmm. you know, rise the ranks of a company and, and with hard work, you'll get rewarded with theater. I have friends that have been on Broadway before, haven't worked in 10 years. Cause there's no, you know, there is no like, Oh, he was really good in that. He'll be in something again. Mm-hmm. It, it may not happen. So having a home base of, you know, my parents, my brother, um, I'm really lucky to have a really good close group of friends. Um, a lot of us from Bandstand got really close quickly and, and with the pandemic, it was nice to have people that were going through the exact same thing, you know, getting laid off from a job. What are we doing now? Scrambling. Um, and it was, it was nice. I, I, one thing I never heard was, you know, you can't do it or like, it's not going to happen. I was always trusted to be like, if you want to try it by all means, Mm. and if it doesn't work out, you know, you will fall somewhere else and you will land somewhere else and you'll be happy. But if, if this is what you want to do, you know, I was lucky enough to, like I said, have a great high school. I went to a great college that I really enjoyed and just, you know, not, not hearing no from the support system because 
in our day to day, we hear no more than any other word. So, so having that to come back to after like a shitty audition or something was, was important. That's awesome. How about you Taylor? Yeah. Um, very similarly, I, uh, not like aside from, um, aside, aside from just like for fun, like my, my family really isn't, um, theatrically or musically driven. And so, but they have always been extremely, extremely supportive. Um, and that, and that's my parents, that's my siblings, and that's my extended family. And so I've always been really fortunate to have that. I think, again, coming from small town, Indiana, less than 10,000 people in my hometown graduated with a hundred people. If on a good day, if that, oh, wow. yeah, exactly. I, I came from small town. So like the, the idea of, of attempting this career is just scary because you know, you hear the, you hear the horror stories before you hear the good. Mm-hmm. And so I remember um, telling my mom it's sobbing because I was just so worn down and burnt out from teaching. I remember talking to my parents um, about, you know, making this transition and going to grad school. I had just found out I had gotten in and I didn't know if it was the right move. And I remember my dad just saying to me, he goes, listen, you have to try this or else you are always going to spend the rest of your life wondering if you, what would have happened if you would have, if you, if you, and he just said, don't, neither of my parents professionally pursued what they would have wanted to. They both ended up in positions, I think, that ultimately supported their family, but didn't necessarily do things that fulfilled their passions. Mm. And I, because of that, both of them said to me, you have to do this. You have to try this. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You figure it out. But you can't spend the rest of your life wondering, God, what would have happened had I taken that one opportunity? And I'm super, super thankful for that. And every step of my journey to get to New York, you know, um, moving here, finding an apartment. They've been, they were super helpful and supportive through all of that process. You know, my first eight months here was just rejection, rejection after rejection. You know, I, I often say, you know, I got bandstand and after being in New York in nine, for nine months, which is hugely rare in the world of being an actor to get a job like that, that was going to employ me for a year. It's, it's rare mm-hmm. to get that in nine months. But up to that point in nine months, I had so many no's. I had so many rejections. There were so many close calls to where I made it to the end and didn't get it. And my mom would Venmo me 50 bucks and said, go get drunk. You're <laughs> sad. Like, go, go get wasted. Like, there were so many of those evenings. And I, I would not have gotten to this point without that support. And same thing. Uh, I have a really strong group of friends. I find personally a lot of my very best friends don't work in the industry actually. And I find having the separation between um, my personal life and my professional life is super helpful. Mooch and I have just gotten to the point where when we get together, we don't even talk about the industry. We If we bring up, yeah, I had an audition today. It may be two seconds of our conversation, but our friendship, our relationship doesn't live in that. And I think that separation for me is really, really important and healthy. Um, just because like he said, we hear no so often, it's such, it can be so daunting, so negative to have a separation from it is really important. Yeah. I think it's great. I mean, I mean, were it not for the support of friends and family, I never would have taken these levels of risks in my life to start things that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I think like there are three like crucial elements that I like to pull out of these conversations with people. It's like, 
what is your support system like? What got you to the place that you're at? Uh, what gives you confidence and what inspires you? Because these are three things that are crucial to making people, I think, like more holistically happy, right? Like if you can, if I can somehow explain to people why I'm the most irrationally confident human being and the will, willing to take all these crazy risks, maybe someone else will hear me talk about it and be like, oh, fuck, yeah, I'm going to go jump out of a plane or fucking pick up a camera or whatever it might be. Um, and then from an inspiration standpoint, I think when you meet more people, as you get older, you start learning that there's so much more than our bubble, right? Like the Indiana 10,000 people that you grew up with. Once you get out of your comfort zone and leave that small town and you're now in the quote unquote big city, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a really great way to open up your eyes to things and careers and life past uh, patterns that you may not have known were afforded to you growing up. Um, so on that token, um, obviously you guys have always felt comfortable on stage. Um, maybe not right at first, but over time, you know, you've, you've grown to feel comfortable in your own skin in front of an audience. Talk to me about the things that give you confidence to either get up on stage and, and portray, uh, you know, a very well-known character, um, or just be in front of the camera for a second act snacks. A really good, good question. That is a really good question. Because I don't feel like a confident person. <laughs> really? I mean, that's surprising. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I. It's a lot of, it's a lot of manufactured confidence. Um, it's. I think it's a lot of. Um, I know what brings me joy. I know what brings me fulfillment, and I think knowing that pushes me to pursue this further. I guess I know. Um, I know telling stories and I know um, being a part of telling a giant story and a giant cast, um, inspiring people. I know that brings me a lot of joy and that fulfills me, that fills my cup. And it makes me feel like I have a purpose on this planet as we spin through space. <laughs> um, but I can't honestly say, I mean, I, I walk into most rooms terrified and with huge, 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 um, imposter syndrome. I mean, the night we released the first episode of Second Act Snacks, I wanted to like throw up. I was just like, how? I joked. I said, this is what Lin Manuel Miranda felt like before Hamilton released. Like, yeah. this is exactly what he felt like. before he dropped it on Instagram. Exactly. Live. <laughs> but it's just this. It's it's a very what we do, creatives, artists. It's a very vulnerable thing because we we just put ourselves out there and we hope people like us. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, yeah, I. I I rarely enter a room audition, anything feeling confident. Um, a lot of, if I'm going to an audition, like it's, it's preparation there, you know, going into a room prepared, like that will help my confidence, mm -hmm. but there there's, it's a rare, it's a rare time when I walk into a room, 100% feeling <laughs> great, great about myself. I'm, I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty glad you mentioned imposter syndrome. It is a reoccurring conversation that I've had with creatives on the podcast. Um, you know, a, a good photographer, friend of mine, uh, Taylor Ballantine is, uh, you know, published the cover of SI magazine. She has worked with wow. Victoria's Secret models. She shot yeah. music videos for, you know, country music stars in the top 10 of the CMT charts, etc. And every time she says she goes to a job, she's second guessing herself. She's feeling like an imposter. Like, who am I? I feel like that on a daily basis when I go to work with a model, go to work for a brand, go to work for a magazine, whatever it might be. Who the fuck am I? What do I do? What do I know? And that's completely relatable. I think the difference is for me is I've come to realize that that is incredibly normal 
to feel mm. inadequate, but then to take that feeling of doubt and inadequacy and flip it into a strength. And I was surprised to hear you say that you struggle with confidence and or, you know, feel like an imposter when you're doing these things because it doesn't come off that way or translate translate that way uh, on the show. Obviously, I've never seen you perform on stage, but from a second act snacks perspective, that would not come off at all. How about you, Matt? Talk, okay. talk, talk to me about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I I did a I did a contract with a with a girl a couple of years ago right out of college, and we somehow like got into the conversation about auditioning because you know like essentially for someone who's not an actor an audition you're you're it's a job interview and you could have six of them a day and you're being told no a hundred percent of the time namely and it sucks sometimes to just walk in and you know prep. 40 pages of material, memorize three songs, work on it with your voice teacher. You go in, they ask you for one side, 16 bars of the song. Thank you. Goodbye. They never looked up. Mm -hmm. And you're like that, that sucks. And, and it's unfortunately because the industry is what it is. And there's so many people, it's not forgiving. It's not warm sometimes. But this girl that I was talking to, she told me, she's like, Oh, she's like, I learned to just every time before I walk in a room, She's like, I say to myself, like, they would be so lucky to have me in their show. Mm. And then she's like, that just, she's like, that puts me in the mindset of, at the end of the day, they're holding auditions to find pieces of a puzzle that they need. You know, they have a director, they have a choreographer, they have a musician, whatever. Now they need to find the cast. And you are hopefully going to fill that part. You know, they're as, as much as sometimes it doesn't feel like it, the people behind the table are, are rooting for you because if you do well, it makes their job so much easier. And if you are right for the part, they can say, great, we don't have to look for this anymore. And kind of coming to terms with that fact and just the mindset of like, hopefully I'm the person for it. And if I'm not, I did everything I could today. And I got seen by them. And whether it was my voice or the way I look or the way, you know, I read the sides or whatever, it just wasn't it today. And, and separating it from, putting everything into every audition, I think was big too. It gave me a lot more confidence just to like go to the audition, maybe quickly talk about it, like with Jamie for a minute or two. And then I'm like, if there's more to talk about later on, I will. But right now it's out of sight, out of mind. Mm. Um, which, you know, like I said, you're, you know, some days you're doing, you know, three to five auditions a day. And if you sit in every single one of them, you're going to drive yourself insane. Yeah, especially right. if you're hearing no or more so if you're hearing yes to things and then not getting it, you know, what did I do wrong? Why, you know, why aren't, am I not enough for this right now? Um, so, so that mindset of uh, our casting director from Bandstand said it really well in a podcast interview she was on once saying that, you know, a lot of time actors talk about the other side of the table and saying like, you know, well, I, I wish I knew what they were thinking on the other side. And she's like, we're all on the same side. At the end of the day, we're all looking to do the same thing we have different roles in that we have different jobs and you know, people get hired in different ways, but connecting yourself to, to what they want and thinking like, maybe I'm the one, maybe, maybe today is the day. Right. And not to say that some days that never works. And I'm like, this blows today. But you know, like Taylor said, like the manufactured confidence and kind of self hyping up just to be like, Oh, that's it. And, and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and then as far as, yeah. And then as far as stage stuff with confidence, I, I'm very, I, I love theater. I love the work. I love the music. And I feel like a lot of the times if I'm nervous, just leaning into the material and something that like going back to what we said, uh, live energy versus film energy, you know, if I'm feeling off or something, I can look over at Taylor who 
is doing his job. And I'm like, okay, he's, he's on, I'm good. I, you know, I'm, I'm in my spot. I'm doing what I need to do. Whereas with film, I think it's a little harder because you could just, you know, finish a take and then yell cut. And then all of a sudden I'm back in my head. Mm -hmm. So, so I feel like I, I get a lot of confidence when I'm doing a show on stage from, you know, the material itself and then also the fellow actors. Yeah. I think those are really, really crucial mindset, um, kind of feelings because that it's incredibly relatable, that self doubt in any, any sort of creative field, whether it's photography, acting, filmmaking, whatever it might be. I think it's always omnipresent. It's such a cutthroat arena, right? Like there's a million yeah. people who would kill to be in the position that you're in shooting the person you're doing or whatever it might be that you can always kind of hear that self-doubt creep in your mind. But those are super important mindsets to kind of flip the switch. Yeah. And, you know, even if it's, you know, faking it till you make it from a confidence perspective, it's, yeah. it's valuable for sure. And the, impo I mean, in the imposter syndrome thing, like you said, quick, like we all through season one of oh, second X Night, we were all like, who the hell is going to watch? I was like, I was like, I was like, I've never written a web series. Taylor's like, I'm learning how to edit. Jamie's like, I'm writing business reports for like, I don't. And, and, and I, we still feel that and we still check ourselves, yeah, but, no, but, but we're not know, realizing we are yeah, not, <laughs> we're not real. You don't but, know. We're making shit up as we go. And, and I think, and, yeah, everybody does. <laughs> everyone, everyone is just making shit up as they go and yes. hoping it's, and it's, it's a lot of luck. 100%. And I think realizing that was huge to be like, you know what, maybe I don't have it all figured out, but it's working for now. So I think maybe what, I am. I think one of the most valuable things that I've learned as I've gotten older in life is that like mindset and and your perspective on the things that you're doing are crucial to your own success and and what i mean is like when i started putting the things that i love out into the world like people were then appreciating the fact that i'm taking these risks and i'm doing the thing that i love and they can pick up on that and like mm -hmm. i've gotten messages on facebook from people that i haven't talked to in 20 years were like oh that's so cool that you started a podcast like how'd you do that and i was like i was fucking bored i was like so i started a <laughs> podcast like you know like oh s someone will say something like oh I, I you know i always wanted to be a photographer i'm like cool go buy a camera and do it like i think there's yeah. so much inherent uh you know stop kind of uh mental attitude in life where like we think we are in our own way and we could never possibly do something. And it's whether it's, you know, the digital world that we live in or just like the way we're raised to have like a very pragmatic life and career, the creative arts are not nurtured enough in our lives at all. And I think more people would be willing to take these risks to do things that they want to do when they realize that the barrier to do them is incredibly low. It's just self instilled. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's so go to it. Okay. It's funny you say that because a buddy of mine from high school just reached out to me today who I have not talked to in a, a solid decade, probably. And he on just DM'd me on Instagram. He's just like, I just want to tell you, I think what you've done with your life is so cool and so inspiring. He's like, you know, I just, uh, how did you do it? How did you go about that? And to me, I was just like, I, there's, there's no equation. I just, maybe I was stupid enough to just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have this fear in life of like waking up one day and wishing I would have done something. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, that fear is what drives me each and every day because I don't want to look back when I'm 50 or 40 years old and say, man, I would wish I would have taken that opportunity or, Oh God, what would I, what would have happened if I would have 
done this. So my goal when I wake up every day is to not look back and say, I, I should have done that. I wish I would have done that. And I think that's what, I think that's what drives me. Maybe that's what gives me my, the fake confidence that's there is when, you know, an opportunity comes, I, I take it because I don't want to, I don't want to not know what it, I don't want to know what's, I don't want to not know what could have happened. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, you don't want to regret not having tried. Yeah. I don't want to, re- I don't want to regret anything. No, no regrets. Yeah. Yeah. R A G R E T S. Not a letter. Not a single letter. <laughs> no, I love that. Uh, I, I recently, I just had a podcast earlier today where I was talking about that exact same thing. 2020 was the most financially successful year of my life. 2021 is the least financially successful year of my life. The independent, like mature growth that I've experienced over the last nine months of 2021, the amount of life satisfaction and life affirming things that I've done in the last nine months, I wouldn't trade for any dollar figure in the world. And I couldn't have been given this opportunity to realize this about myself had it not been for an otherwise shitty situation. But to what you said, it is incredibly important to have the mindset that we are here for like the blink of an eye, a blip uh, in the the span of human consciousness. And you got to do the things that you want to do. Like who wants to be a 65 year old retiree and say, now what? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I like to, uh, I like to wrap up each podcast with kind of like a little short Q and a, um, it'll be some easy ones. There'll be some hard ones. You don't have to like go crazy into depth. Um, But I'll start you off with a, a little bit of a, a lob. And what are your favorite books? Matthew, we'll start with you. Um, I'll give two. My favorite book that has like just just a, a story. It's nothing to do with, you know, acting or whatever. It's a book called uh, A Man Called Ove. Hmm. I'm forgetting the the author right now. But it's a, uh, I think it was originally written in like Sweden or Norway or somewhere. And it's the story of just this cranky old man that reminds me of like the old man from up <laughs> and it's just a really and i'm a sucker like i'm a crier so i'll just go nuts on it and i read it and it's just a really beautiful like human story and it and it just clicked for me and i i, I love that book and then i as far as acting stuff goes i'm a big fan of jenna fisher from the office she mm-hmm. has a book that Great. she wrote that i read right after college and it just connected a lot of dots as to like you know having not a ton of expectations and you know, like we were saying, the benefit of taking risks and stuff like that. That's awesome. How about you, Taylor? Um, you say three? Fa- what three? Just no. Every favorite book, books doesn't <laughs> I gave, matter. I just gave two. You gave two. Great. Um, <laughs> I love. So I don't like. <laughs> I don't like to be told what to do very much. So reading like self help books, I'm like, no, fuck off! And don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so, but I love to read. Um, I love to read autobiographies because I love to hear. Um, people's stories about, you know, when they're dirt poor, you know, living in a box and, you know, to the point to the, to the point of the success and the acclaim or what have you. Um, so I have been reading those a lot recently to kind of try and inspire me during this time of like hold in my acting career. Um, uh, Cicely Tyson's autobiography that came out earlier this year is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot recommend that enough. Um, also Matthew McConaughey's autobiography Greenlight was also yeah. really good. Very Those good. two mm-hmm. have two of my absolute favorites that I've read this year. Nice. Uh, what are your favorite movies? Mo- it's movie, but I'm using <laughs> S because there's two of you. So Matt, we'll start mm-hmm. with you. Right. Uh, Breakfast Club since nice. I was in, in high school, just 
character, everything. It was, yeah, I, I love that movie. Um, I have three. Um, the first, these three are the three that if they're on TV, I have to stop and watch them. The first being Titanic. Love it. Don't judge it. Love it. Um, <laughs> don't, um, did you see me roll my eyes when you're like, don't judge it? I was like, oh God. <laughs> because everyone does. Who is five? Like, if it's on TV, who has five hours to watch the Titanic? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I need to cancel you know my week to watch this. <laughs> you find it. You find it. All right. Um, Titanic. And yes, I did go back and see it in theaters when it was released in 3D. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Um, Titanic, Mrs. Doubtfire, and The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, I, hey, listen. Mrs. Doubtfire, all-time favorite. I actually love The Devil Wears Prada. Mm-hmm. I've seen Devil's Wears Prada like yeah. 10 fucking times. It's such a that, such a random thing that all yeah, three that of those comedy, are musicals, too. Yeah. 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 Three, uh-huh. three musical adaptations of all those. Titanic in the older mm-hmm. is Doubtfire this season, and Devil Wears Prada is in the workshop right now. Didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what the, this is super appropriate yeah, for uh, the host of Second Act Snacks. What is your favorite food? <gasps> buffalo wings, hands down. I love the flavor of buffalo, but like buffalo wings all day, every day. I'm a big, I'm, I love Mexican food and I also love barbecue. So, like a Tex Mex burrito, something like that. Like, give me like brisket, but also like hot sauce and avocado, all, all stuff like that. And I have a massive sweet tooth. So like brownies and cookies for the entire day. Nice. He like said favorite one. No, it's cool. You can, yeah, how, however many you want. I got two hands. I hold the burrito in this hand, the brownie in the other hand. All right. What is the best piece of advice that someone has given you? Hmm. Um, I know mine. Are you, are you, Musha, Go ahead. You Tyler. Um, for yeah, a second. No. Mine was my my college voice teacher. Um, she said to me, live your life with your dreams and goals on the horizon and everything you do, make sure it's feeding into that. Hmm. And if what you're doing is not feeding into that, you're out of it. I like that. That's a good one. That's usually, so usually, usually impactful. I feel like you'd see that on like a Target sign. That's awesome. <laughs> I know, right? So much- at least home goods. At least home goods. <laughs> yeah, at least home goods. <laughs> I can't, I can't think of anything specific to me, but something that I think about a lot, and it was in my, my grandfather's, I think it was in the obituary or something. It was a quote that they pulled from him that at like Christmas and holiday times, he would like look at my grandma and say like, while looking at the family, like, like look at what we've made. And, and that has stuck with me in, in a lot of different ways, just to like be able to take a step back in the craziness of everything and be like, look at what's around and, you know, take a minute and appreciate all the stuff that's that's there so it was never said directly to me maybe at like christmas when i was four but that's that's six with me i like that um in in the vein of what taylor said what what is your guy's biggest dream individually uh, or you know first second next next um i think individually this is going to be really cliche and kind of like a Miss America answer. Individually, <laughs> I, individually, I just want to be. I want to wake up happy. Yeah. Um, again, it's this. It's this. This fear instilled in me that I'm going to wake up one day and look back at it with regrets. And so I just want to be able to wake up every day fulfilled and happy. And I know there are certain things in my life that I need to feel that. Like a lot of it is, am I, am I fulfilled creatively, um, personally? A lot of that has to do with 
being happy, but overall, like, it's just, I want to be able to wake up every day happy and whatever facet of or phase of life I'm in, you know, I think that'll change as to what's feeding into my happiness. That's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. Did I win? Yeah, Do I get the crown? <laughs> you, you did it. Congrats. One LaCroix. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, lemon, not going to happen. Oh, no. <laughs> me, key, lime, key lime. I'll take the limoncello though. That's great. Um, I, yeah, I think very similarly to Taylor and I just want to, I, you know, the cliche thing is like, I want to, I want to work on Broadway until I'm a thousand years old. Like that's the, and that's what I would love to do, but I just want to work in this industry and, and be happy doing so. It could be in any way. If I, one day, what, you know, if one day I lost my voice and I couldn't sing forever, I want to write. I can't write. I want to do, you know, stay connected to this industry because the, the energy of it, the people, the work is, it just makes me very fulfilled. I love that. That's, From a, that's great. a second act, act standpoint, though, I think, and we, he and I have just talked about this a lot. World domination. World domination, obviously. <laughs> um, but there, we just, I think both of us would love to see this grow as a company. Like, we do have a lot of ideas as far as producing further content and things to branch off and tell stories. A lot of what, a lot of what we love about the show is that we, it's about community. It's about connecting with each other. You know, food is a huge Food and theater are two tools that connect people socially. Mm-hmm. And we've just taken this idea and combined it into one. And I think we want to continue to produce further content and further episodes and further series that does that and holds it together. And I, especially right now, after the year and a half that we've had where we haven't been able to connect with one another in person, um, I think if we can provide a tool for that in many different facets, I think that is something that our, we would love to see happen with that, the company. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, my last question is uh, pretty easy. It's just give me a recommendation on something that you've consumed lately, whether it's a book you read, a podcast you listen to, a TV show you watched, a movie you've seen, something, you know, just something you've consumed lately that you think everyone listening should take a look at or read. I'll go um, first. Yeah, <laughs> I just watched The Voyeurs on Amazon Prime with Sydney Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney, right? Yeah. Holy Love fucking that. shit. I was texting a friend of mine at the beginning of it. I was like, this movie's fucking terrible. And then the last hour, the amount of twists and turns and plot flip arounds i was like holy shit i think i fucking love this movie so Uh go check it out it's wild it is there are border it's a borderline pornography midway through flew me through me for a huge loop (laughs) but it was it was i I, I, gonna have to watch it again it was wild it was it the ending was so such a mind fuck it had to be good Uh it had to be it's the only way i could describe it (laughs) wow um I'll say something that I watched recently, and it's in the vein of, of all this. That's fine. Um, the the musical waitress opened last last week. They had their opening, last and their Evo Thursday. Yeah, yeah, and their entire um, post credit or post credit post curtain speech, everything was um, recorded, and you could find it on YouTube and stuff. And one of the original company members, Nick Cordero. Um, yeah. passed away due to COVID and they have a really big um, almost like a memorial, like a reunion for him and the whole company sings one of Nick's original songs with his wife is on stage and it was just like a very emotional thing to not only see our industry back but to kind of like be put in check like there are 
people that were affected so much worse than this. Mm-hmm. And to, to kind of be reminded that while also seeing such a happy moment, there was something that like I've, I've scrubbed back and watched it a couple of times. So that's awesome. YouTube, like, like waitress reopening curtain, something. I saw waitress on Broadway. We took my mom. It was great. Wow. Catherine great McPhee. Good God. She was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, and well, Mooch, I saw that. I'll remind you that I saw that live. That I was going to say, you saw- <laughs> I saw the behind behind tears. It's not a competition, <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> Same team. I'm seeing Wicked tonight, so eat it. Yeah, no, you do win there. You absolutely <laughs> win. Um, I, I, so I'm not a huge, as an actor, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, I'm not a huge TV person. I don't watch a ton of TV. We'll cut that. Don't worry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I own it. Um, I, my problem is I go back and watch. This is probably some kind of trauma I need therapy for it but I, I tend to put on things that I, I love as a kid and just like put that on the background I've seen friends like a million times I will say though I just recently watched Mayor of Easttown mm. and I highly recommend so that good. specifically for Kate Winslet no spoilers I <laughs> yeah. just started it yesterday oh, just started Jamie and I just watched we just watched the first episode love it um, so far and Evan Peters they're brilliant and so, yeah. I did uh, you and I did not see the ending coming yeah did not see they're coming. fucking crazy it was crazy yeah. all right I gotta watch. Yeah, big time recommend. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I, uh, I'm a big fan of yours, of the work you're doing. Um, I think my father likes your show more than I do. 74-year-old, huge fan of the work. Um, he is our literal – He's. I, I've told Taylor before, at every – you know, John and I are essentially family now because my brother is marrying his sister. And at every family event that I've seen their dad at recently, he will find me in a crowd and just be like – I got a couple ideas for you. He slipped me his business card like two weeks ago, and I and I still have it in my drawer because I'm like, this guy knows. Oh God, he's, he's too, a fan. too funny. It's I uh, it, it's it's it's. I'm super happy for all your successes, and it's easy to root you guys on. You're you're two tremendous human beings, and I wish you all the success in the world. And I'm I'm super appreciative of the time that we just spent together today. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having of course. us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. <laughs>